I'm Claudia Berger, she and they, and I'm the Digital Humanities Librarian. The Digital Humanities Librarian. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's break down your title. <laughs> one word at a time. I, I literally want to do it one word at a time, if you don't mind. For the Sarah Lawrence Library, I'm Tim Kale, and this is the Sarah Lawrence Library Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking with Digital Humanities Librarian Claudia Berger, and it's a great conversation. I really enjoyed this one, and I think you're going to enjoy it too. It's a, we go very deep into the philosophy of her position and of education and learning, and it's a really good time with uh, some Star Wars thrown into the mix. So all you Star Wars fans out there, uh, stick around towards the end of the conversation because you're sure to find something that you enjoy. Before we go any further, I'd like to remind you to follow us on social media at SLC Library on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That is at SLC Library on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Visit the library website, sarahlawrence.edu slash library, where you can check your library account, book a consultation, book a study room, among many other things. And while I have you here, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to give the podcast a five star. That's five stars, a five star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Those reviews go a long way in us helping us find our audience and they brighten my day. So go ahead and give it a five star rating and review. Alrighty, that about does it for this intro. It is time to start this episode one and all. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here it is. Here is Claudia. So what does digital mean? In that title. So, and this is going to be a slightly longer answer than I think maybe is warrant needs to be. That's okay. <laughs> I think digital has an easy answer, but for me, it's um, the way I like to think of, and this is jumping ahead to both humanities in there. Digital humanities can be computers, like using computers and technology to do things. But I think technology can be more broad than just computers. I think... There are other types of technologies that can be part of it. So I like to think of it as like um, assisted (laughs) research. (laughs) So computers and beyond Okay, for digital. That's what digital means. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what does humanities mean? For me, humanities is the study of like the things people have done and touched. Mm. So art, history, literature, philosophy. Um, It's a very all-encompassing. I think there's a lot of things that might be officially social science, mm-hmm. but that could also be interpreted as humanities. But um, generally, I see it as a distinction um, between like maths sciences are sort of one and then humanities being the other. There's overlaps, of course, like the history of science is a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the things that culture and society has touched in some way. I like the way you say and had touched. Do you mean that figuratively? Yes. Okay. But also literally. <laughs> <laughs> but something like pottery, that is something that's being like yeah, that's something directly touched. Yes, yes. But then if you're studying more like empires and the history of empires, that's maybe like looser cultural touches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, So now, what does librarian mean, especially in relation to the first two? Yeah. So for me, I think librarians are people who help connect people with resources and help them find things and help them do their work. So in this context with those two, it's helping people find the right tools to help answer their questions in a humanities context. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... 
yeah, I think, I think that's, I'm here to connect people to the things to do their research and where I maybe differ from the reference librarians who are also on the team is I'm more connecting them maybe to software and data than just like, here are some articles and books. Okay. All right. That makes sense. All right. So thank you for describing your title. (laughs) Um, It's a fascinating title. Um, I understand that, and I could be wrong, but I think you've told me this. I understand that you were looking for something like this, like a job like this, and SLC just happened to need it. Is that correct? Yeah. I So I recently graduated with my master's in library science, um, spring 21. And when I did that degree, I also got a certificate in digital humanities. So this is something I've been interested in for a very long time. And How did you get that? How did, like, why or how? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, I don't know what's, why? Why did you get that? Yeah, so as an undergrad, I was a double major in, like, electronic art and classics. And everyone always joked I did, like, then and now. So, like, ancient history and contemporary graphic design. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always saw them as being more connected than separate like you can use one to explore the other so I've always been very interested in how we can use sort of software and contemporary tools Mm -hmm. (laughs) to supplement some more like traditional humanities work I didn't know what it was called though when I was an undergrad digital humanities wasn't as established of a thing it had already started but especially I was on a similarly small liberal arts college campus it wasn't there yet um, but when I started library school, I saw that they had all of these like classes and coursework around digital and like digital cultural heritage and digital work. And I was really excited about that. That's one of the reasons I chose that program. Mm-hmm. And so the, the certificate just kind of fell into place as like a, a way of focusing some of my work. Okay. So you were saying that you had just graduated. Yes. And were looking for... Yeah, I was looking for, I had a job in a library, but it was not, it was a good job while I was in school, but it was not where I wanted to be long term. And yeah. so I was looking specifically at academic library jobs. I wanted to work with people. I wanted to be front of house, so some sort of reference role, ideally with some part of a humanities context or digital humanities. And I applied to a lot of places where that would have been a small piece of my work, but Mm -hmm. it was not the main part of the job. It was just more of a general position, but if you could support this, great. And there's just very few librarian jobs that are specifically digital humanities librarian. Mm -hmm. Often it will fall under scholarly communications librarians or digital scholarship, like there are bigger buckets that do this job, but to see something so specifically focused in this area was really exciting. That's great. So it's like a match made in heaven. Yeah. (laughs) And it was one of those things that like, as the interview process sort of continued, there was like other areas of overlap between my work and stuff that Sarah Lawrence was doing that made it, I couldn't turn it down. Is your perception of the school, the college and its people the same from when you had your interview or has it changed? Um, I mean, it's definitely changed just because I was before outside looking in. Like, And now it's more filled in. Yeah. The blanks. Like, I had some broad strokes of what I thought was happening, but now I'm here. I can actually see it. So maybe not like 
a 180 shift. Yeah. You don't feel like the carpet's been pulled out from under. No. That, that's, what, that's what I'm getting at. I want to make sure that there's some consistency here and that the positive feelings remain. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't feel like I've been bamboozled. Yes, by the exactly. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, so how long have you been here for? I started in July. So two months, I think. Okay. July 18th. So this is the first, be first semester. The first semester, but also my first semester as an academic librarian. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) That's so great. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So how's the beginning of the semester going so far? It's interesting because it's still quiet for me. Mm. I think I will get busier later in the semester once students are starting to do their conference projects, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Whereas some of our colleagues are busier at the start of the semester. It's, it's going to be, because this is also a new role. It'll be interesting to find out where my peak, (laughs) where the busiest periods are. Um, So I'm doing a lot of outreach right now. I've been emailing faculty and trying to set up meetings so that way they know how I can support them. And I'm more familiar with how I can, what they would want from me. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting because now there's people in the library, whereas when I started, it was like totally empty. Yeah, it was dead. Yeah. <laughs> so that's nice. But um, I feel like I still haven't started yet. Okay. Uh, well, that's that's an interesting place to be. I imagine you're eager to get started. Yes, especially since this is a new role. I know there isn't external pressure necessarily, but like I feel the pressure to You're putting it on yourself. Why was this position added? What is the value add? And I, so I just want to like, get going on that that's so fascinating like i uh similarly am putting pressure on myself with this particular with a particular possibility of my job and then and i ask myself is this pressure existing externally at all like not and the answer is not really yeah it's like all on the inside and i'm stressing myself out absolutely <laughs> and uh, could you speak to that feeling yeah and i mean mustafa the library director he's made it very clear that they're not expecting like tons of things from me from day 1 that this is going to be a slow process of learning from both my side and the college's side of sort of what this can be here cuz there there's been pockets of digital humanities work but nothing like sustained or connected so he's not he's made it clear he's not expecting me to like change the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) in two weeks Mm -hmm. but I'm just I'm first of all like I'm happiest when I'm a student and taking classes and I was like one of those perpetual like going above and beyond like I wanted to get the like 4.0 even though it didn't matter did you get a 4.0 I did yes same in grad school congratulations it didn't matter it's not a thing that changed it like I especially for students like like what your final grade is like ultimately does not decide your future but like yes. I wanted it for me yeah, and I yeah. think that's the same thing here where it's like no one's telling me I need to do this but I feel like I need to like prove why this position was added do you think that that pressure you're applying to yourself is to the benefit or detriment of your life both <laughs> yeah okay. I'm, I'm a i mean i'm a deeply anxious human and most of it is of my own creation and mm-hmm. i think some of it is what motivates me to do things so like of course it helps me but also i think it will i have to be careful that i'm not um 
pushing myself too hard or being too disappointed in myself when it's all internally done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's it. I, um, <laughs> I, I like really need positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Like I need on a pretty consistent basis to be told I'm doing a good job. Uh, so I just, uh, I randomly just asked Mustafa, I, I was, I went into his office about something, I forget what, but I told him about it. Uh, and then maybe it was about the 3d printer. And then I said, I was just like, I got to ask him. I was like, so am I doing a good job? <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, you're doing great. And yeah. like, like he said it like that as if it was ridiculous for me like, to even ask. How could you even doubt it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but still, I understand that well. I'm also, so both external validation, but like I'm someone who likes to cross things off lists. Mm. So I like to have completed things. Mm-hmm. And right now I don't feel like I'm in con- I have no control over the things and these projects are nebulous and I can't cross anything off my list. <laughs> so it's probably, if you want to think of it this way, a, a good exposure therapy of a kind. Yes. <laughs> forcing you to face something you're not comfortable with and then to gradually become comfortable with it. Yeah, to sit in the uncertainty for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will hopefully make it that much better when the certainty arrives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in that time that you've been here, what impression have you formed of Sarah Lawrence? I'm really something I'm very excited about and um, have been like very positively impressed with is the student work and just how driven the students are through things like conference projects. Um, I think that's really what makes this institution stand out from other similar ones, just the specificity of the things people are studying <laughs> is fascinating. Um, and I always throughout my like academic career, the things I was always most interested in was getting someone to talk about their research and the things that they're interested in. Cause even if I knew nothing, it would be a fascinating, like to see someone light up that way. And that's something that I think will be very exciting here is just to hear the like very weird niche things everyone does. Did you ever hear about the, uh, the poems that came with vials of, of, of essence or, or aromas and you're supposed to read the poem and then take the, like a sniff oh of this God. perfume and it would just, that, that was a project. I, I'm doing a horrible job describing it. But like but scents tied to the... Signed, yes, exactly. Which awesome. reminds me, it makes me think of digital humanities because digital humanities, it sounds like this interesting concoction, you know, this combination of things uh, that treats education not as, and this is a point I'll, I'll make soon, not as a single thing, but a multifaceted thing. And let's try, apply education in multiple ways simultaneously is kind of what it, what it makes me think of. Yeah, and that's something I really like about digital humanities is it's not a specific thing. Like one person doing digital humanities work is not going to look like anyone else doing digital. It's very specific to what everyone wants to do themselves. What is similar is it's it's a method as opposed to a specific process. And it's rethinking what the scholarly product is. And for years, it was flat essays or books, but like similarly books and essays together. But like, that's what people were striving to produce and what digital humanities 
encourages is to think beyond that a little bit. Sometimes it is still a paper, but maybe the process of how you get to the paper is different. And I think that's what's, I think that's why it could be very interesting to do it here is with the things that students are interested in, giving them a little more freedom beyond a like 15 page paper. Mm-hmm. What else could they be doing? And I think that will be really exciting. So it seems to me that the process of learning is moving away from uh, the individual and the single means of learning. Like, say, as you just said, a student reading a book. Like, a student reads a book. Uh, That's a very solitary experience. Um, I feel like it's moving away towards that, or keeping that, but moving more towards the communal and the eclectic. Like, say, a student listens to a podcast that's tangentially related to the course they're taking. And then that student creates their own podcast with other member, other students in that course, based on that course. Um, is my reading of the, the trend accurate? And if so, is this good? Yeah. Well, first, I'd just like to say, you know, a lot of people are very worried in digital humanities that it moves too far away from humanities work. And I think there will always be a place for a student reading a book that is going to be inherently part of this always. It's part of the process. You have to know your material. You have to know your context. That research is still going to exist. But I think this move towards collaboration is correct. Just there's been this whole thing in higher education of like lone wolf scholars, uh, people who are brilliant and sit in their office and produce incredible work, but aren't, they're on their own. It's very solitary life. And this is something I think humanities is starting to take more from the sciences who, in the sciences, you often have articles that are published by 10 authors. That's a great point. You see that because that's how lab work is done. You work together on doing that research. So humanities has always been, um, you, the, the highest form of thing you could do in the humanities was a single author monograph. So a book written by one person. And it's slowly moving away from that. I think there's still a place for it, but I think allowing other types of collaborations and work will just make it richer of mm-hmm. what there is, especially because not everyone wants to work by themselves. Some people, if you bring a group of four people together, you're going to get a deeper level of work because everyone brings their own expertise and interests and questions, and that can make the work better. So I think, I don't think necessarily we should get rid of people reading and writing by themselves, but I think giving more options. So that's not the only way to be an academic or to do college. Not everyone's going to necessarily go on to be (laughs) a tenured professor, but Mm -hmm. um, that's what I think is exciting. Bringing the people together to do work, which if people are leaving higher education and working in sort of business, corporate, nonprofit, whatever, outside of higher ed, you're going to have to work with people on things. Mm -hmm. And every job I've had to collaborate with coworkers on projects. And so teaching people how to do work collaboratively is important because not everything's going to be a a paper you can write on your own Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. or a report you can write on your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a fantastic answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I think, I think I got there. I don't know. No, you got there. (laughs) That was great. Um, So I feel like in a lot of ways, your job is about finding what's good uh, in technology. 
um, you return the focus upon what's effective about the tool. So it's like so much of technology seems frivolous and intrusive in our daily lives, right? You know, our phone buzzing. Um, that's the only one that comes to mind right away. <laughs> but like uh, excessive screen time, we're always staring at screens and it's hurting our eyes and it's like fundamentally changing the way our eyes work, you know, and in a bad way. Um, is it not your job to take it from the frivolous and the intrusive to make it pertinent and helpful? to take technology and to do that. Is that an accurate read? I think so. Um, I'm about to say two contradictory things. Sure. I don't think most technology is purely good or purely bad. There's some that are bad, of course. But like a lot of these tools that can seem frivolous can also be used for meaningful work. Mm -hmm. It's about the context you bring it in. Mm -hmm. But the thing I want to be bringing as well as I want to teach students how to assess technology. Oh, that's good. Like a critical examination of the tools they're using. I don't want them to just accept like, oh, this tool can do, but like, what is fueling it? What, how is this built? What are the values that are built into every tool? Because everything is a product of the people who built it. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing this all over with sort of AI and machine learning of people are building tools, algorithms that are biased based on what was put into them. Mm -hmm. So I want to show that none of these are neutral mm. and that there is a lot in each tool and to be give, start to give them the tools to like break down sort of <laughs> what each one is. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I think, yes, I want to show them it's not all frivolous, but I also want to show them that like they can make decisions based on sort of critical thinking. They can decide them. for themselves what's frivolous and yes. what's not. Or how to use the tool in its most effective Yeah, way. or deciding between tools. Yes, okay. Uh, no, that, that sounds great. Um, I'm realizing I'm using tools in like six different ways in some of my examples, <laughs> and I apologize. <laughs> uh, so how, how do you do that? Like, how do you show the student the, their way of uh, discerning what's effective and what isn't or what's frivolous and what's not? Like, how do you go about doing that? That is the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm new both to this position and to this type of role. So I'm still trying to figure out yeah. how to do this well. I think some of it might come through individual work with students. I would like to try to find a way to do workshops and larger groups. So I'm not trying to change everyone one by one. <laughs> um, but I think a big important part of this is teaching them to experiment in their research and to try different things. And part of research is going down a path and realizing there's no there there and going back and making a new decision. And that, that failure is just part of the process. It is not a failure of the entire project. Um, so yeah, maybe they have a, a thing and they think a map is a good idea. So let's try a map. But if the map isn't interesting and actually it's a something else entirely, that's fine. But you don't know that until you play a little bit with all your tools. <laughs> I can already tell you're going to do great at this job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I hope. <laughs> no, you are. Um, listening to you talk about it, it's like, it makes me wish I was a student <laughs> with this really cool like project uh, that, that I could come to you. But no, I think you're going to do great. 
Um, so don't you kind of have to become a bit of an expert on what you're teaching? Like, or at least have enough experience with the technology to be able to talk about it with a student. I have to be a generalist. I have to know a lot of things moderately well, Mm -hmm. Um, which is sort of what I've done. Like, I don't really have like a strong expertise in digital humanities. I've done some mapping. I've done some textual analysis. I've done some statistical analysis, but like, I don't have a thing that is my thing. Um, So yeah, I have to know a bunch of things reasonably well that if someone were to come with an entry level question I could figure it out something that also drew I'm very good at both learning technology but also uh searching for answers to my question Mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh how to navigate forums posts of errors to figure out what the answer is to my specific error Mm -hmm. and I don't mind doing that work um so that helps me in this I'm able to like I can easily find answers to the things I don't know about a specific tool. But I'm also, because of that, I need to expose myself to a bunch of things. So one of my projects is I'm sort of every month picking a tool and I'm writing a tool review. And part of that involves me doing a project in it so I can see what it is like. And I'm a, I'm a generalist as well. Yeah. Um, I think those are the, well, I'm sure... Sh- the, the jobs of the future. I think also at an institution of this size, we kind of all have to be generalists. Yes. There's not too many people in the library. Whereas if you go to a big research university where they have dedicated librarians to each subject and field and department and et cetera, you can get more specialized, mm-hmm. but you just can't do that mm-hmm. at a smaller college. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, so what's your favorite social media app? Twitter. <laughs> it's like, so that's the one you use the most in your personal life. I am pretty much on Twitter the entire day, both for my personal life and professional life. Why? What is it about Twitter? Twitter, I like that it's sharing ideas and people talking. So I follow a ton of people in the library space. Library Twitter is a thing. So there's tons of librarians talking. So I get to hear that. And then same with digital humanities because digital humanists are already very tech interested. A lot of them are on social. So they're all talking on Twitter about things. So I can be part of those conversations. But I also, in my personal life, like I'm very interested in professional women's soccer. So I follow a bunch of things there. So I can have it all very neatly. Whereas Instagram, because especially with the way that they're like deprioritizing the captions and pushing video, I just, tiring. Instagram. Yeah, I don't, I I use Instagram. I'm on it. But I, I find it to be a bit of a chore because, and I find I'm just false. Like I'm just taking a picture of this thing and I, I use it to promote my podcast and my personal life. But uh, yeah, I love Twitter too. Twitter's my Twitter's my favorite. Um, it's it's at times it's the most evil. <laughs> but uh, I find if you cure if you curate yes. the experience, um, it's it can be a positive one. I yeah, I really enjoy it. There have been there's someone who I'm collaborating with on an article, and we met through Twitter. I would not have known her if it weren't for Twitter. There's a lot of professional things I've gotten through Twitter and personal friends I've made. Um, 
back in the day when I was younger, it was Tumblr. Tumblr was yeah, my main. Tumblr, yeah. That really met its demise, which was so sad. Was Wait, like, are you you weren't around for MySpace though, were you? MySpace my is friend, my day. <laughs> my friends were on MySpace. I held off yeah. on MySpace and Facebook was the first. I was yes. a very early Facebook adopter and okay. then abandoned it. Okay. So you're not on Facebook right now? No, no oh, really? don't even have a profile. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I deleted that in... I originally deleted it when I was in college, but then reactivated it because I moved to England and for a grad program. How long did you live in England? About 18 months. It was a short oh, wow. one-year master's, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and That's when amazing. I was there, it was hard because I didn't know anybody and I just didn't hear about things, so I had to reactivate Facebook because it was a more casual way of like knowing what's happening. <laughs> yeah. But then pretty much once I came back to the States, I deleted it. Were you happy to come back to the States? Yes and no. I mean, it wasn't... What's if I, the yes and what's the no? If I could have stayed longer, I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but visas, I just, I wasn't able to get a working visa. So I had to leave when my student visa expired. Okay. But also like, I don't hate living. <laughs> I like where I'm from. I was born and raised in New York City. I came back to... Many people hope to move to New York City. I was able to move back home into my parents' place for free in New York City. So That's like awesome. it was a nice situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, if I could have extended it, I would have. Okay. Well, that's awesome. You're very worldly as well. No, I'm going to skip that question. All right, now let's get serious. Okay. Very serious question. What is your favorite Star Wars movie and why? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm cheating with this one, but my favorite Star Wars thing is the Clone Wars TV show. Oh, this is the um, the uh, computer animated one. Yeah, the sort of 3D animated yes, one. Yes, Not yes. The, there was like an anime style one, but um, it is my favorite because you get the most world building and time spent with the characters just by nature of TV. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I like that era of like the Republic. Mm -hmm. I love the Republic. So I really enjoyed that. And it's my favorite version of Anakin is the Anakin in the show. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Would you you believe I have not seen any of it? (laughs) It's really good. It's not because I, I haven't wanted to. It's because it's just, I have too many things, you know? Yeah. It's a great, because it's like a kid's TV show. They're short. I will warn you, you have to give it more than the first season. <laughs> okay. And Yeah, it's a commitment. Yeah, but it's also because it's sort of the style is like war stories. It's not linear. Like the episodes kind of jump in time. Mm. So if that's a thing you want, there's a thousand guides on the internet of like, this is the chronological order of all these episodes. Mm-hmm. But I kind of just like that. Like you're just jumping into different adventures. Mm-hmm. All right. That's awesome. Um so that's your favorite <laughs> Star Wars and why? I think also in in that too, Padme is my favorite character. Oh. And you get the most sort of exposure to her and her like life. In that's that interesting. I, I, I got to watch it. <laughs> um, and you may have already answered this. Um, of all the Star Wars characters, who would you like best as a coworker? Oh, <laughs> that's may. interesting. Cause yeah. that's like different than like you want to hang out with. That's like, yes, we exactly. have to like work together. Well. Yes, exactly. Um, and honestly, I think none of the Jedi because <laughs> they would bring, it's like too moral. Like mm. 
everything. It's like, okay, sometimes you have to make some compromises and like, you can't just, not everything is like, so it's like, we just have to do the thing at some point. <laughs> um, so I do think Padme actually, she like was in the Senate and she like has like negotiations. Like she could probably navigate a workplace pretty successfully. Yeah. So I'd work with her. Okay. Padme. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I might choose Yoda <laughs> just to have uh, this little green guy walking just around. <laughs> um, if we're going though for one of those, you have to go Grogu because like oh Grogu, well, I would be so scared that he would be hurt or something. Clearly, so, he can take care of himself. That's true. <laughs> that's true. He's fine. <laughs> Season three of that's going to start I soon. Know. I'm excited. Very excited. I'm also excited for the Ashoka show. Oh yeah! Oh, she, I gotta watch the that. I'm going to watch it before I watch that. Yeah, because like that's where she's introduced, and so like to yeah. understand how cool she is, you have to watch Clone Wars. <laughs> Do you think we've lost people at this point in the podcast? <laughs> Probably, but then there's someone who perked up at this point, did not care about digital humanities, and is like, let's go deep. <laughs> um, so, what is it about Star Wars that makes it so universal and enduring? For me, it was just like, it was the first, I guess at the time I didn't have the language for it, but the first franchise that like I was obsessed with. And because when I was a kid was when the new movies were coming out, there was like stuff to follow. Like it was active, things were happening in it. Um, and I just, I just loved like space and aliens and like totally disconnected from our world. I think that's something that um, I now like Star Trek, but as a kid, I didn't really care about. I wanted something more fantastical and it's space opera. It's space fantasy. It's not like science fiction. It's like, let's put magic and wizards and yes. knights in space. Yes. And I love space opera. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a big melodramatic story in space. I am there. <laughs> Have you seen cloud Atlas? Yes. What do you think of cloud Atlas? I liked it. It's okay. not, it wasn't my favorite, yeah. but like, but people have a visceral hatred of that movie, yeah. which I I love that movie. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not one I think about much. Okay. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think about it quite often because mm -hmm. there are things on it that are legitimately bad. Mm -hmm. Like the makeup is legitimately oh, yeah. bad. Horrible. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing? But But that movie really swings for the fences. Mm -hmm. Like that movie is trying to do really awesome stuff. And I think the prequels also, I think anytime there's a genius, there's like big broad strokes mm -hmm. that are just trying very hard to do something very new. And that, and that sometimes leads to a polarized reaction. I will say, I think also a lot of the hatred of parts of Star Wars is a very vocal minority and no one hates Star Wars more than a Star Wars fan. Mm -hmm. Like true fans hate the vast majority of Star Wars. <laughs> Quote unquote true <laughs> Quote fans. Unquote. I do not think. Yeah. But like when it was just the original three, they didn't like the second one because it was like stupid. And then when it, the prequels came out, the prequels stupid. And then it's like, no one hates it more. I think a lot of people, are very happy <laughs> with the movies that are out and have lovely relationships with them. Mm -hmm. I am a prequel apologist. I think they're fun. The first one is like a little meh. I will sometimes do the machete order where you skip that. But I think like episodes two and three are great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I love them all. I love everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give me more space. I like the world and I just yeah. want to hang out. Exactly, yeah. Um, okay. So returning to yeah. 
earth. Sadly. What are some of your short-term goals and what are some of your long-term goals? How, how it doesn't short? have to be, it doesn't even have to be about this job. Yeah. But my question for you, how short-term is short-term in your eyes? Um, <laughs> this <laughs> like a- tomorrow. This afternoon, no, uh, like a month. Like okay. A month. So one of the things, I'm going to keep it, at least for now, with my role at Sarah Lawrence, because like, who knows what's happening otherwise. But in the next month, I really, I want to do like a, a listening tour. I want to meet with faculty and hear what they're doing and like hear how I could fit in to what they're doing. Because I have some sense that I'm not starting from zero. There are people who are interested in doing digital humanities already. It's not like I have to convince people. So it's sort of finding them and figuring out how I can best help. Um, And then longer term. (sighs) Like a year. Yeah. I want maybe even longer than a year. I want there to be a specific Sarah Lawrence digital humanities presence. I want this to be like a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's not just me. I mean, not necessarily like hiring more staff, but like I, I want like, I like like slice, which is the Sarah Lawrence interdisciplinary collaboration on the environment mm-hmm. or whatever it's called. Something like that. But for digital humanities where there is like a cohesive presence of people doing it. So it doesn't feel siloed. Cause I feel like right now it's like one person's doing it here and then someone else is doing it there, but there's no like, Cohesion. We're not learning from each other then. They're all on their own. So I want to like... Like you, you want to take it from the satellite yeah, into a cohesive, it. organized thing. Exactly. And I think some of that might also fit in. I know the library has some larger projects of creating um, more spaces that are flexible and collaboration focused. And maybe that's part of it, of giving it a physical place that it could be and be present in. Um, but I think that's also how I would feel the most comfortable in my role, talking about how I don't do well in the nebulous, or if I feel like if I'm just sort of helping piecemeal projects, then what's the point? If you have a digital humanities librarian, there should be a very serious presence of digital humanities. Okay. All right. If that answers. I don't know. No, that, answer, <laughs> that definitely answers it. Um, all right. Any final words for the students listening? Oh, I think final words, just, I think scholarship can be what you want it to be. It doesn't have to be an essay. It doesn't have to be a podcast. There's like so many forms that this can take. And I think higher ed is starting to recognize that and starting to accept that there's also different types of knowledge, like community-based knowledge and experiential knowledge. And those are just as important as sort of like traditional scholarly knowledge and this is a great place I think to sort of push the boundaries a little bit and I just want to encourage them to do that and they don't have to do that with me they can do that on their own they can do that with other people but just try to like think beyond what they think is what's expected because from what I've heard a lot of the faculty here are very receptive to different types of projects and just because something's the default doesn't mean that has to be what you produce. Or in other words, they must unlearn what they have learned. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite, sorry, my first master's was in classics. So like I will always bring something back to the Romans. But um, 
one of my favorite Cicero quotes is the the authority of those who teach is often a hindrance to those who want to learn. Mm. And so just sort of like challenge people a mm-hmm. little bit. Like don't just accept what you're being told. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, Claudia. Yeah. <laughs> really appreciate you being here and everything you said was great. I hope so. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. Thus concludes this episode of the Sarah Lawrence Library Podcast. Remember to give the podcast a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show and what you'd like to have more of on the show. And reach out to us on the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at SLC Library. We are at SLC Library on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you very much, as always, for lending us your time and your ears. Thank you, Claudia for sharing your insights on this episode of the podcast. Also, shout out to Owen Anderson, the composer of the music you are hearing right now. Already, everyone, that about does it for this episode. Until next time, have yourself a very nice day. 